It's great to see you this morning. I'm very glad that you are here. If you would, join me in prayer, and uh, we'll get rolling, okay? Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, this morning we gather as your people, not by our merit, but by the merit of Christ. And so we present ourselves before you as your people. We pray now that you would take this time and you would use it for the continual transformation and growth in grace this morning of your people. May you be glorified. May you be honored. Holy Spirit, teach and instruct. Lead and counsel and guide in all things. And we pray that this morning we would receive that with gracious hearts and you'd be glorified through it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 to 19. Before we get started, just one quick announcement. We are here at the time to start TRCC. You. That'll be Wednesday night at 6 o'clock in this room. And I uh, just want to give you one little tidbit here that I think is vital. If you can't tell, I've been very uh, speaking very in very hyperbolized language uh, about your attendance for TRCCU. The intention for that is so that we aren't consumers of a product, okay? So obviously, if, you, if, if you're interested in, in TRCCU, by all means, come on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7.30. But we do expect that you're involved in the life of a radical life group. Um, and so if you're TRCCU and you're coming to that consistently, we want you to still be involved in a radical life group. If you're in a radical life group, you're welcome to come check it out. We just don't want you to be a consumer of a product. Does that make sense? Because we know our job is to fill every domain of society. Uh, he who hears these words of mine and... Does them, right? Not he who hears and hears and hears and hears and hears and continues to hear. Hears over again, takes really good notes and hears again and hears more and hears more and hears more. Jesus said that person is the person who builds their house on sand, right? But the person who builds their house on a rock is the one who hears and does, right? So one is much doing as hearing, right? So we want both. So here in Radical Life Group, here on Sunday morning, here at TC, TRCCU, but by all means... Do, right? Oh, me, that was a little weak, but that's okay. 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 19. Listen to the word of the Lord. Remember them. Remember. Whoa. See, when you get 43, the vision is gone. So I can't wear my glasses anymore because I can't see the text. But... I can see the text with my glasses off, but that's getting worse, but I can't see you. So it's kind of like, which one do you want to give up, right? And so, and being dyslexic too, that was so remember. And so you look down and you're like, whoa, holy cow, what just happened to the, the words? So let's start over, Second Timothy 2, 14 to 19. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearer. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid a reverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, or the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. 
Paul's written to the church at Ephesus. He's written Timothy to encourage them in this last will and testament that he has written. He is in a Roman prison awaiting execution and he's going to die. And he's written this last correspondence to exhort Timothy and exhort the church at Ephesus to guard the gospel, to guard it at all costs, guard this good news. And for the last few weeks, we've been unpacking up to this passage the content of what they are intended to guard. But now he's going to shift from content to actually being a tried and true worker who has rightly handled the word and who has stood and rightly defended, stood and rightly lifted Jesus high. And he wants to now exhort from content to action. He wants them to move into, now you know what, These are the trustworthy things that I've handed off to you of practice. Now, Timothy, now church at Ephesus, be a worthy workman who stands the ground and maintains the cause. What's interesting in this passage is verse 14 serves as somewhat of a heading to the passage. And so what we're going to do, though, is we're going to start in verse 15 because verse 15 is really the teeth of the passage. And then verse 14 kind of should fade into some of the practice of, of the meat of the passage. Now, I'm just going to tell you, um, I threw out a little tweet on Friday afternoon. This passage has given me fits all week long. And, you know, sometimes, man, preparing to teach is like breathing and sometimes just like pulling teeth. And so help me, it was like pulling teeth all week long. Couldn't be more straightforward. But then as me being the nerd that I am, I make this, it becomes not straightforward. I'm like, oh gosh, what am I going to say on Sunday? So I just had to quit Friday and trust that all the prep that went in and because it's telling me to do your best to present yourself to God as a workman approved, rightly handles the word of truth. I'm just trying to rightly handle it. And the more I try to rightly handle, the more confused I get. So I was like, okay, Lord Jesus. So, 14 is kind of a heading, but the teeth of the passage is really verse 15. Those main verbs, those commands, like when you grammar, right? Those main verbs are kind of the main things, right? And then there are the supporting pieces in grammar, right? Well, 14 is sort of really a supporting piece, but Paul kind of starts in verse 14 anyway, but the teeth is in verse 15. So what I want to do to help us get our hands around it is start with the teeth of the passage, okay? The main command, and then we'll see how all the pieces fit together. Is everybody tracking with that just a little bit? Okay, thank you. Maybe, oh, please, Lord, don't let them be confused. Okay, here we go. To guard the gospel. I mean, he's moving from content to action. Content to action, all right? And so verse 15 is the meat of the text. It's the command. So to guard the gospel, we know what to say. But what are we to do? What are we to do? Verse 15. We've got to handle the word well. We've got to handle it well. Listen to verse 15. Do your best. It's an imperative. Meaning it's a command. Do your best. What's the command? To present yourself to God as one approved. That is, a person tried and tested. Right? That's what that word means. Tried and tested. A worker. That is, a laborer who works hard in farming and in an artisan work. That word particularly applies to a farmer, which makes sense, right? Because in our previous passage, what did he tell Timothy to think over? A hard-working farmer is first to share in the crop, right? So it makes sense that Paul would come back around and use a word that would connect to the passage before it. So, do your best. Imperative, to present yourself to God as one approved, that is tried and tested. 
a worker, a laborer who works hard, who has no need to be ashamed, comma, and here's how that is modified, they rightly handle the word of truth. They rightly handle the word of truth. Now, Paul does this really strange thing sometimes. If you read, if you read Paul's writings a lot, you'll start to notice Paul sometimes makes lists and sentences, and he starts at the end and moves to the beginning. Now, there's a reason for that. And the reason, you've got to keep in mind, guys, these cats didn't have iPads, right? right? They depended on memory, and they were excellent with memory. So many cultures in our world are great with memory and they remember things. And a lot of what we find in the Bible is written in such a fashion to help us remember, right? Because one of the things we've discovered in the past few weeks is God cares about remembering, right? He told Paul, remind them of these things. We'll see that in just a second. He's spoken in previous passages, remember, 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 right? We're to call on what God has said. And Paul uses these great devices in the text to help us remember what he has said, one of them, he uses a lot in Colossians, and he uses it here. And he starts at the back end and moves to the front end. And as you're reading it, what's the intent? What does it do? It makes you go, hey, wait a second, that should be, oh. And the next thing you know, you're paying really close attention to it because you're like, this is backward. Yeah, exactly. Now you know. And when you know it's backward, what do you know how to do? Flip it forward. Right? So, Paul... Starts at the back and moves to the front. So what I want you to see, and this is where I, I spent all week on this. <laughs> so walk with me for a second. We're going to start at what in the text is the back, but really is the front. And we're going to move to the front, okay? If you're tracking, at least nod, smile, okay? Very good, thank you. Here, let's just go to the back, which is the front, and let's see it like, all right? Hey, didn't Jesus say the last will be first and the first will be last? That just came to mind. There you go. Got to be the Lord, right? Here we go. An approved worker handles the word right. If we're going to defend the gospel, if we're going to hold it forward and defend it, we have to handle it well. We've got to handle the word well. There can't be a messed up, not straight method to handling the word well. What's interesting here is the word that Paul uses is a word that contains the root ortho. Right? Ortho, it means to handle skillfully or to handle straightly. We use, we use that word, right? Orthopedics, orthodontist. And it means right, setting things right, setting things in a straight fashion. He uses that word here and he says, if we're going to defend the gospel, we've got to handle it right. We've got to handle it straight. We've got to teach it straight. In other words, we don't need to mess with the content. We don't need to update the content. Truth isn't updatable. Truth is eternal. And so what Paul is reminding this church to do is the gospel is an eternal truth, and you need to teach it straightly, handle it straightly. There's a process to doing this, and geez, we could spend the whole time. As a matter of fact, in TRCCU in a few weeks, we will talk about this process of exegesis. That's a fancy word that means to mine out, to, to, to determine what a text means. And so what Paul is telling this, this young pastor in this church to do is handle the word right. Teach it properly. Exegete it. Discover the meaning. Why? Because it's God's word, not ours. It's God's Word, not ours. Therefore, we need to handle it well. You always start with this. Ask this question. What does the text 
say. Do not start trying to apply it yet. Application comes last, right? And in the naturalistic culture, all we want is application. We want a to-do list, right? But God's not a naturalist, right? Because <laughs> there's more than the natural world. We'll do that this Wednesday. You'll see that this Wednesday. So, there's more than the natural world, right? And so we don't start with application. We start with what simply does it say? We gather information. Then we move to what does that information mean? And this is where we get to the heart of what exegesis is. We've got to take the data and we've got to put it all together and say, now what does this mean? Then and only then can you apply it. And this is the idea that Paul has in mind. You know the content of the gospel. You know how I've taught you to do it. Now what I want you to do is handle it straight. Don't need to add to it. Don't need to take away from it. You don't need to curve it up for the culture. It will transform culture, but teach it straight. Rightly handle the word. This is often where the evil one will attack the teacher who seeks to rightly handle the Word with whispers in our thoughts that sound like, that was so foolish, that was so stupid. Do you really believe that? Right? Because it's so easy with, with the outside pressures of a fallen world pressing in on us to take the message and not keep it straight, but bend it to please ears. And then the enemy will come and say, do you really believe that? Nobody else believes that. Everybody else doesn't believe that. That was stupid. That was so foolish. I can't, really? And you'll find yourself, we, those who teach a lot call that preacher hangover. That's that post-war that has to be fought when you teach constantly because that's what the enemy will do. The Word says, rightly handle. The rest of the world says, nah, do you really want to, really? I mean, nobody's going to believe that stuff, right? But Paul says here, we've got to rightly handle. If we're going to defend the gospel, we've got to handle it rightly. And by the way, remember, this isn't just to Timothy. It's written to Ephesus too. It's written to everybody, right? This is written to us. This means it's not just my job to rightly handle. It's not just your other pastor's job to rightly handle. It's everybody's job to rightly handle. Meaning we need some good skills to read and make sense of what God has said. And those are the kind of things we seek to teach you. Not only in modeling it here, but teaching you how to do it. Well, that was the end, but we started at the beginning, right? So let's move to the next piece. Rightly handle. He says here, the one who rightly handles the word then has no need for shame. There's no need for shame. This is why the enemy likes to play that, is he wants to shame the teacher of the word. That's where those thoughts come from, is being ashamed of that straight truth. And Paul tells Timothy and the church at Ephesus here, rightly handle, and when you do that, there's no need for shame. That, that's, that's the weapon for fighting. Is there's no need for shame. This is, this is what it says. This is what it means. And this is now the application of it. Therefore, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. You know why? Because the ultimate audience is God. In this room right now, do you know who I'm most concerned with? Is the Lord. I want to be pleased because He's going to tell us here to present ourselves to God. That's the command. Present yourself to God. That's where we're getting here in a moment. But I handle it right. And if I handle it right, before the Lord, there's no shame. It's your word. And I gave it to them. And Jesus prayed that in John 17. Your word I gave to them. Rightly handle. 
One who rightly handles has no need for shame. And then the next phrase moving back up through the text is, one has to be a worker. Highlighting the word worker. Worker who handles it right. And the right handler of the word doesn't need to be ashamed. You've got to be a worker. If you're not going to be ashamed and you're going to rightly handle, it takes work to study the Bible. Hey guys, it's a task to study and make sense of words. Right? If it were easy, audiovisual culture wouldn't exist. Right? But it does. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not evil. Right? We know that. It's a tool. It's a great tool. In the kingdom of God. However, if we're going to take God's word, it's going to take work. You've got to read. And by the way, if you guys know this, you've been around long enough. When we preach a passage of the text, if you're going to teach something, it's not just those few verses. It's everything around it because context determines meaning, right? Right? Context determines meaning. I say this a lot. When we talk about people, uh, we now email. We don't write letters anymore, right? But remember the day when some of us used to have a pen pal? I remember like in like fourth, fifth grade, we had a pen pal somewhere. And we would like write letters to each other. And this great thing called email happened, right? And now you can type it. And like it used to be AOL, like you got mail, right? And it used to find out so cool. It's like your computer talked to you, told me I had mail. And you open it up. And now it's not even that. It's like it's like Apple Mail or, or some other inferior PC product, but you, you, you get it, you get it in your box and it, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's somebody talking to you and you talk back and when you read the email, do you read the first line and then close it out and I'll read the rest of it tomorrow? Do you do that? That's dumb, right? Because that first line doesn't make any sense unless you read everything else in context. You don't start in the middle of the email and go like two paragraphs down and go, Well, I'll close it out. I'll come back to it later. No, you read the whole thing. Why? Because it, it all matters. The Bible's that way. Right? When we read 2 Timothy, we just don't read chapter 2, verse 14 to 19 and close it up and we're done. Because chapter 2, verse 14 to 19 is hinging on everything he just said. Right? And so, when we're doing this, it's work. He says, study to show yourself a worker who's not ashamed. They rightly handle. So if you rightly handle, there's no need to be ashamed. And guys, that takes work. That takes study. Next, moving up the chain, hardworking, unashamed handlers of the truth are approved. They're approved. That means they are tried and tested. The person who keeps doing this approved work through the continual rigors of handling rightly before God without shame, this word is a person who is approved. In other words... They care about keeping it straight. They care about presenting themselves before God unashamed. They work hard at it. And he said, that's a tried and tested person. Tried and tested. You know, the Bible teaches us not many of you should presume to be teachers, for in so doing you incur stricter judgment. That's James 3 1, right? And so, in order to be a good teacher, you've got to work at it, you've got to strive at it. And when you strive at it, you're approved. Not ashamed, rightly handling. And notice we come all the way back to the beginning and it's the command. We're commanded to do our best to present ourselves to God this way. The command of the text is do your best. In other words, try your hardest. Give it your best effort 
to present yourselves to God. Listen to Rivers Community Church. When we go away from here and we do radical life groups, we do a TRCCU, we do a membership class, we do baptism class, or, or you meet people on campus, or, or you're meeting people in your home, or in your workplace, whatever your domain of society is, we are commanded to present ourselves to the Lord as a worker approved with no shame, because I rightly handle, keep straight your truth. If we're going to defend this gospel, that's how we do it. That's how we have to do it. So don't forget, our audience is the Lord. We want Him to be pleased because it's His Word. And when we are concerned with obeying the command to present ourselves to the Lord. And by the way, Romans 12, 1, right? Right? You know the passage, right? We offer ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And this is our spiritual worship. It is an act of worship to keep straight the text, unashamed, rightly handling, hard-working, presenting myself to the Lord. It's an act of worship. You know what? What an awesome opportunity for folks to worship the Lord, starting radical life groups, being intentional in your domain. Engaging people in your domain with the good news. Why? Because I'm presenting myself to the Lord as an act of worship. To rightly handle, non-ashamed, hard-working, that the Lord would be glorified. Right? So Paul's telling Timothy here, if you're going to guard the gospel, this is how you have to do it. You've got to be a person who handles the word rightly. Well, let's move back to verse 14. To guard the gospel, you've got to handle it rightly, right? Well... One of the ways we're going to handle it rightly is verse 14. And it's remind folks before God to not fight over words. Verse 14, remind them of these things. What things? Everything he said to this point. And charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. Literally, the Lord. Not to quarrel about words. The language here is warring over words. He says it does no good. It's no good. But only ruins the hearers. He tells them, rightly handle the truth. Rightly handle it, Timothy. Rightly handle it, church at Ephesus. And here's how you can do that. Bring to remembrance what is true. This is part of what we're going to be doing at TRCCU is bringing to your remembrance what's true. We're going to start with what are basic worldviews. Theism versus transcendentalism, naturalism. And what are the implications of these various worldviews? Constantly reminding ourselves what is true. Because listen, if you engage your domain, if you engage your world, you're going to be bombarded with things that are not true. And you know what? What gets most time usually gets assimilated as what we consider to be true, Right? Right? If you continually are bombarded with something over and over and over and over and over again, essentially at some point that's going to soak in and you develop that as your system of thinking. This is one of the reasons it's vital that we continually read and study Scripture. We continually sit under the preaching of God's Word. We continue to do fellowship with one another so that recharging can take place and the truth is continuing to soak in because if you're engaging your domain, those things that are not true will bombard you constantly. The unseen ethos of the room will bombard you constantly. Constantly. Ethos is a powerful force. The unseen set of values that drive the culture is a powerful force. And you can soak it up. So Paul says, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. Remember, remember, remember. You never outgrow the good news. We're going to never outgrow the Scriptures. There is no superior knowledge. 
And the reality is we often have a tendency to forget, don't we? Isn't it crazy how faithful the Lord can be to us? He can do supernatural things. And six hours later, we have forgotten and are acting like goobers. Isn't it crazy? Right? Because we forget. We forget. He says, remind them of these things. Keep this in front of them. This is a lifetime worth of work. This is a lifetime worth of work. We could never preach through the Gospel of Matthew enough. I don't know if you notice, we're nearly 13 years old. And we've not preached through every book in the Bible yet. Not even close. That's That's crazy. There are 66 books. Isn't that crazy? And if we did them all properly, it might take 66 years. I ain't going to be alive in 66 years. Many of you aren't either. And you know what we got to do? We got to keep it straight. Be worker. Keep the text in front. Remind. Sometimes we've got to back up and say, geez, you say that a lot. I know. Because we've got to be reminded of what is true. So you've got to guard the gospel. Remind them of these things. Hey, listen, in your radical life groups, remind each other of what's true. Remind each other of what's true. Why? Because the day's ethos will bombard you. And there are times when you need to be together. And the Lord's given someone a word. And you need to be reminded of what is true. Remind them of these things. Remind them about truth. Reminding of truth is done with the Lord as witness. Notice he says, remind them of of these things and and charge them before God. Every time we're with one another, every time truth is exiting our mouths, we're doing this as unto the Lord. Why? Because He is the witness. This is a... This is just crazy. We always talk about you need to be at church. You need to be at church, right? We need to worship together. It's a vital thing. It's for the Lord Jesus. But you know, another neat thing about this is what's happening in this room is happening before the Lord. He's witness. And as witness to these things, He has the empowerment to hold us accountable by the ministry of the Holy Spirit because we know, we've heard, we've witnessed, and now He does this beautiful thing of reminding. So He says, bring to remembrance what's true. Remind them of what's true in the presence of the Lord. And he tells them, do not let people war over words. Do not let people war over words. We're to guard the gospel by charging God's people to not war over words. The idea here is fighting over nuanced subtleties that create division. This is speculative theology based on nuanced wording. There's a place in academics to debate finer points. But Paul tells us here that we are not to fight over nuanced subtleties. Right? We call this open-handed, closed-handed issues. There are some things that we will not allow to go because they're closed-fisted realities. There are some things that we're just not going to scrap over, right? The millennium, right? The new heaven, the new earth. Like, what's it going to look like? What's it going to be like? You know, is there height? Is there water there? Is that literal in Revelation 22? Uh-huh. Right? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I have an opinion. Right? But we're not going to part fellowship over it, are we? Right? And and what's happening in this fellowship, we're going to see this in just a moment, some have begun to make an argument about something that's not true, and it's ruining the hearers. And he's saying, I don't want you warring over this kind of stuff. Do not war over words. 
Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 3-5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus and the teaching that accords with God, then he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words. That's the same language warring over words that he's using here which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. We have to be careful about warring over words. We major on the majors, we minor on the minors, lest we create division. Listen to Titus 3, 9-11, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Jesus is primarily concerned about unity in his church and that we love each other, not that we are warring over secondary issues. Now the context here, if we look back at 1 Timothy, is that some of these people, and he names one a second time here, oh, Hymenaeus, I don't know if you remember from 1 Timothy, we studied through 1 Timothy, this cat has already been kicked out of the church, church discipline, and he's back causing trouble again. Last time it was with Alexander. And now he's got Philetus in tow. And so he's used Alexander and Philetus to stir things up. And when we talked about, if you remember this, he was, he was using some of these extra-biblical Old Testament stories to create another branch of knowing and thinking opposite of the gospel. And this is this idea of warring over words, taking things, creating a nuance, and creating a division in the people of God. And Paul tells them, remind them of the truth and do not let them war over that stuff. Cut it off. Cut it off. Cut it off. Cut it off. Why? Because division in the church is a serious issue. And so therefore, Paul says, remind them of the truth. Keep it straight. That's an approved worker. And when it ain't straight, chop it. Get rid of it. Warring over words does no good, he says. It literally brings zero good upon those who hear. The, the idea is that some people get their nerd fix on creating nuances in one word and creating separate branches of theological study, and then they think people who aren't in their branch are unspiritual, right? And some of that, we see that like end time stuff. There's some crazy folk. We're going to get to 2 Timothy 3, right? In a little bit, we talked about end times. People done got this stuff jacked up. Missed Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 altogether. I think we're in the end times. Well, no, duh. We've been there since the advent of Jesus. End times ain't future. End times are now. In the grand scope of the meta-narrative of all things, we are toward the end. The gospel's advancing to all nations, right? Right? And so we are there, right? And then they create these, like you got $20,000 backdrops, right? That's got the scheme of how it's going to work out. And if, you, if you're not in that scheme, you just, you, you ain't a Christian. <laughs> no. That's what Paul's talking about. Don't war over that stuff, man. Do not do that. It leads only to the ruin of the hearers. It confuses the hearers. Keep it straight. Keep it straight. Keep it straight. He says, literally in this text, warring over words brings catastrophe to the hearers. This word ruin is the word catastrophe. Literally, catastrophe is a Greek word. Catastrophos. It brings catastrophe to the body. An approved worker keeps straight, keeps the truth out, opens the text, Discovers what it says, discovers what it means, and they start the application process. But keeps it straight. A war over words, don't divide. You're going to guard the gospel. You've got to keep it straight. 
Got to keep it straight. This is the danger in what we're going to do second semester when we study systematic theology. I'm a systematic theology teacher. Right? That's what I do, used to do. And I'm doing it for you. Right? It's hard to get out of the teacher mode. And the easy thing to do is get puffed up with what you know. What does Paul say in Corinthians? Knowledge does what? Puffs up. What does love do? You read your Bible? Build up, right? He said, I want you to love each other. Listen, theology, the study of systematic theology is awesome and it's necessary. But knowledge, improperly studied, can puff you up and you think, look what I know. I've got to greet them. Do you? And you don't love people. And Paul goes, negative, Ghost Rider. The pattern is full. Do not do this. Do not do this. And so he says, this brings catastrophe on the body. So the warning in TRCCU is you're going to learn some stuff, but the goal isn't for you to walk away and go, I know stuff now. I can say transcendentalism. And then create a fight with a brother over a nuanced issue. Paul says, you're not guarding the gospel. That's Hymenaeus and Philetus. That, that's the kind of stuff he tells us to discipline inside the body. Warring over words brings catastrophe on the hearers. We're going to move to verse 16 and 18, verse 16 through 18, to guard the gospel, we have to avoid godless chatter. 